So good morning. Uh, towards the end of the first century, there was a great deal of persecution, and as a result, Christians uh, throughout Jerusalem and Judea ended up being spread out all over the place, and they call that uh, di diaspora or the great dispersion. And I think we've had a little bit of that this morning. There's maybe not the persecution so much, but there has been a scattering. Now, if you remember back to the first century, that turned out to be a really good thing because as a result, the gospel got spread all over the place. And so even though we may have a few folks out here this morning, we trust and believe that God is using them as they worship uh, in other buildings, in their homes, in cars as they're traveling. And so we know that God can be glorified no matter where that we are. So we're just thankful. We are so thankful that you are here with us uh, this morning as we have a, a big holiday weekend that's being kicked off tomorrow uh, with uh, picnics and cookouts and maybe even some fireworks that are done hopefully legally wherever you may find them. So this morning we're going to find ourselves in the Bible. I hope that's not a surprise to you. We are in Bible class. I hope that you brought a Bible or you have a Bible or you're going to use your device that you can read along. Possibly at some point hit the wrong button and it will read it to all your neighbors around you as you're trying to hit the silence button. Whatever you want to use, that is great. Uh, we just want to spend some time in the Word. So uh, I want to kind of get us started off. Where exactly are we going to be? Well, I'll, I'll give you a hint. We're going to be in the Old Testament. Okay, so for those of you who are not sure, that rules out the last 40% of the Bible, at least in terms uh, of the different books. So we're in that kind of that first two-thirds area. Now we're going to be in a book that is named after a person. So that's going to help you out a little bit more. So now we've kind of ruled it down. There's only 25 books in the Old Testament which are named after people. That includes First and Second Samuel, so we're kind of honing it down just a little bit. For those of you who are trying to keep up, this particular book has more than 10 chapters. All right, so does anybody have an idea where we are now? Okay, so we've ruled it out. Now there are only 11 books out of the 66 in the Bible that we could be dealing with. It's in the Old Testament. It's named after a person, and there's more than 10 chapters. Now here we go with this. The first half of this book is really geared towards like children's Bible class. I mean, that is just, there's some great stories in there. And the second half is really more towards adult Bible class, but not unsurprising, we're going to be in the first part. The second part really uh, has gained interest in the last 40, 50 years ago with the idea of premillennialism. It's something that's cropped up lately, and we can thank LaHaye and Jenkins for, for those guys for writing a series of books that talks about this thousand-year tribulation and the mark and the beast, and that's really taken off not only uh, in culture but in churches. And so a lot of people are finding themselves going back to this book, which a lot of people would like in the second half more to Revelation. So now do you know where we are? If not, I'll give you one more hint. The main character of this book has two different names. So I've given you all the hints I can give you. Does anybody want to tell me what book we're going to be in? 
Daniel. We are going to be in the book of Daniel. So now you can go ahead and open up your phones or your Bibles and get set. And in a few minutes, we are going to take off in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. But don't read ahead because before we do, we need to kind of get a little bit of context. What's going on? What do we know about Daniel? Well, we know that he is a Jew. Uh, and and the Jewish nation is, from the beginning up until now, is synonymous with hardship and turmoil and persecution. Okay, our, our minds typically go to the most recent acts of persecution when the neighbors of the Jews, they got together, uh, they teamed up, they closed their businesses, they took their homes, they sent them in ghettos. And then they begin to systematically kill them by way of starvation, poison, and outright execution. That's what we refer to as the Holocaust. But the Holocaust is not the first blip or struggle that the Jews have had. Um, it goes all the way back to the very beginning. That's when the plot of the Jews began. In fact, their origin story really is about an old barren couple that have been told by God that they would have more children that would that, that, than the stars in the skies or the sand on the seashore. An old, really old, barren couple. In fact, this is not going to happen, at least not in their lifetime. In fact, this patriarch who we know as Abraham would blow out a hundred candles on his birthday cake before his baby boy would breathe his first breath. He's going to be named Isaac. Isaac is going to grow up, but he's going to start off with the craziness much earlier in his life than his dad did because Father Abraham handed him a stack of wood and said, Hey, bud, we're going to go up to a mountain, and it was going to be that wood that Isaac was going to be laid upon, sacrificed, and burnt as an offering. Boy, that's a tough way to start off, isn't it? Of course, we know that God did, in fact, provide on that mountain, and he would live to see another day. But things got still difficult for the Jewish nation of Israel. Speaking of Israel, Isaac would grow up. He's going to get married, and he's going to have twins. Both he and his wife are going to participate in gross favoritism, which ultimately leads to a stolen birthright for one son and a death threat from the other. So just so you know, this is what the Jews are dealing with early on. One of those sons is going to be named Jacob, who's also known as Israel. He's going to grow up. He's going to get tricked into marrying two different sisters. And he's going to continue the dysfunctional favoritism that plagued him as a child. As a result, Jacob is going to have 13 children. Twelve of them are boys from four different women. Now, if that doesn't say dysfunction, I don't know what does. The second young, youngest is growing to, going to grow up to be a little bit spoiled and maybe even arrogant, no doubt, to the upbringing he received. So much so that his older brothers hate him 
and they conspire to kill him. Not say, I'm going to kill you, because that happened when I was growing up. That happens in my house now. My kids threaten each other. But they literally plan to kill them. But then at the last minute, they decide to take the moral high ground and only sell him as a slave to foreigners traveling through the country who would take him off to a far distant land where he might never see his family again. I did say might. So Joseph is going to grow up uh, in Egypt. Uh, and later on, the Israelites will end up as slaves in that same country some four centuries later. And thus, the Israelites will wrestle just like their forefather Israel their entire existence. From judges to kings to prophets, Israel will struggle with sin, persecution, and slavery. Now, I want to pause for just a second because I hope you've learned something. And if you haven't, I, you might see a little tear come down my face. I know this is a tough question, but there are two really big dates that happen for the nation of Israel. Can anybody remember these two dates that happened in B.C.? The first one is 722, right? What happens in 722? Assyria comes and they take the northern tribes off into captivity. They're never going to come back. And then we're going to have another big date. It's going to happen in 586. All right, I heard somebody say that. 586, that's when Babylon is going to come take off Judah off into captivity. And so when we catch up with Daniel, it's no surprise to learn that his country is where? in captivity it wasn't just the the 20th century that the jews had issues it wasn't just when abraham started off all throughout their history the jews have struggled by the way the jews are who they're god's people and we probably could just pause right there and just you just let that sink in god's people from the very moment that he chose them, had struggle and hardship and opposition. God's going to come to Abraham and say, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Abraham says, yes, where are the kids? And it would be more than a quarter of a century before he would see one of the children that God had promised. And it would happen to Isaac and Jacob, and Joseph, and all of Israel as they become slaves, and on and on and on. The people of God deal with hardship. And so if you've kind of formulated in your mind this idea, this theology, that because you're sitting here today, and because you pray to God, and you sing songs, that everything is great and it's perfect because you're God's people, read the Old Testament. And then when you're done, flip the page and start with the New Testament. Because Jesus and Paul and others are going to promise, you will have hardship. Just follow me. Take up your cross. And understand that loving Jesus and loving others will be met with angst and persecution and struggle. And so that's where Daniel is going to be. So 
we're going to get to Daniel chapter 1. I know you're anxious. Some of you are already reading ahead. And I don't blame you. Because it's more interesting than anything I'm going to say. But hang with me because we are as a group going to read there. But what do we know about young Daniel? I just gave you two things. First, we know that he's young. And the second thing we know is that his name is Daniel. Well, sort of. That's kind of a trick question. He actually gets named, <coughs> great name, Belteshazzar. And I don't know why we don't keep that name. Uh, it's, it's odd that he's called Daniel, gets changed to Belteshazzar, but for some reason, he gets to keep the name that he had from the beginning. And I'm not really sure why, but I have a theory on this. I haven't bounced it off of anybody yet, so this morning will be the first time. I think they call him Daniel instead of Belteshazzar because years later, when little kids would go to Sunday school and they would sing about Daniel, 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 Daniel in the lion's den, it's so much easier if you don't call him Belteshazzar. It just doesn't roll off the tongue just the same. But he has two names. Why does he have two names? Well, the reason is, is because... Of course, as we talked about a minute ago, his country has been taken slaves and many of them have been hauled off into captivity. But he's going to keep the name Daniel. He also, we know, has three friends. Oddly enough, though, they don't get to keep the name their mama gave them. They're going to end up being referred to as the three names that they're given once they're in Babylon. And we'll talk about these guys in just a minute. But their names are... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which by the way, um, I'm not saying you have to name one of your kids that, but if you have a pet, please name one of your pets or all three of them. Have three fish and name them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they have such a great story that needs to be told over and over again. Okay, we're almost to Daniel 1.1, but before we get there, a few more things. What do we know about Daniel we know that Daniel and his buddies are likely royalty or they're at least some sort of nobility. What else do we know? We know that he's handsome, he's intelligent, he's knowledgeable, and he's talented. In a word, he's this right here. <laughs> wow, that was way more painful than I thought it was going to be. You're either not awake or trying to, but Luis was like, nope, I'm laughing at that one because that was just... That was, okay, never mind. I, now that you're back awake again. Um, so we know a little bit more about Daniel. One more thing is that Daniel and his friends have been hauled off into slavery. They're almost a thousand miles away from their fallen country. They not only have new names and a new land, but they're forced to learn a new language, a new culture, and even a new religion. And so here's a useless trivia fact, one more before we jump in. The book of Daniel is written in two different languages. Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel's 8 through 12 are written in Hebrew. Chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic. Now why is Aramaic familiar? Why do you know that? Who else do we know spoke that language? Jesus spoke that language. Jesus spoke that language partially because by the first century, remember, the Jews were in trouble again. And this time, they are being, their country is being occupied by the mighty Romans. 
just a reminder that you love God and there are troubles that will follow. Jesus himself grew up in a time of basically, it was almost like captivity. They were in an occupied country. And so we just have to, to remember that as, as we look at all of this. Okay, so I promised we would do it, and so we're going to do it. It only took us 15 minutes. For those of you who are keeping count, I know nobody is, but I am. So Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, let's start off. There's going to be a couple funny names in here. I'll try to pronounce them correctly. If I don't, just pretend like they sound right. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasure house and put in the treasure house of his God. So I want to pause there for just half a second. Is God upset? Yeah. How upset is he? He's allowed the people, his people, the only remaining people. It, remember, the northern tribe is already gone. It's 586. Babylon has come in. They have now besieged Judah. And now they're not only taking off the people, but God is so upset that he's allowed his temple to be sacked and articles to be taken out to be put in a temple that belongs to another God in Babylon. And God has good, good reason to be upset because his people refuse to follow him. And they find themselves following other gods, worshiping other gods, and not being the people he called them to be. So, picking up in verse 3, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, king of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal, from royalty and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter into the king's service. And so here we have Daniel and his friends, some other neighbors. Not only are they hauled off into captivity, but they're looked at and said, Hey, these are some good-looking fellows. They look pretty smart. They're knowledgeable. They're quick to learn. They're super talented people. We're going to train them, and they're basically going to become Babylonians. We're going to take the best of the best, and we're going to use them for our good, right? And Daniel is one of these people. And so he's been conscripted into basically a, 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 a group of people that, that are not his own. But, I mean, things really aren't that bad for Daniel, are they? I mean, think about this. He was nobility. He was royalty. He was uh, in a country that was struggling, to say the least. And they get captured, taken off into captivity. And where does he end up? In the palace. From one palace to another. And there's no doubt that the Babylonian palace is way better than the one he was at in Judah. So things really aren't that bad. So let's pick up among them were some of those from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We don't recognize those third names because we don't call them that. The chief officials gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name. You got to help me out here. Belteshazzar. Okay. To Hananiah. To Mishael. And to Azariah. 
Okay, good. Hope you know that this is group participation. If for no other reason, if I hear your voice, it means that you're still awake. So things are going pretty good right now for Daniel and his buddies. They're going to get an allotment of food and wine. They're going to be trained. I mean, things are going really good for them, right? But you know what happens. Anytime things are going good, what happens? There's a but that gets put in there. And there's going to be a pretty big but that's going to start off verse 8. So let me read that. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself, defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord and king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than any of the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And so we have Daniel who things are going pretty good. He gets to have his basically a, a buffet and all you can eat an open bar. And they say, hey, help yourselves to this. And Daniel says, no, I'm, I'm not going to defile myself in this way. And he says he resolved not to do it. The thing is, though, the people above him look at him and they see that he is, um, he's a good man. And, and they want to show favoritism towards him. And I just think this is interesting. And we know that it says that God caused them to show favoritism. But I want to think that Daniel had something to do with it as well. Because Daniel comes from a long line of people who were able to show goodness and kindness in difficult situations. Remember, Abraham was a foreigner in a strange land and he showed hospitality to some visitors who were coming through. And Joseph, while a prisoner in a land that he didn't belong to, showed kindness not only to his fellow prisoners but even to the guards who kept him in that place. And here we have Daniel who seems to be doing something really unique. He is treating other people the way he wanted to be treated. I mean, isn't that a great phrase? I should coin that. I mean, somebody maybe 600 years after Daniel is going to say that phrase. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. And that's exactly what he does. And so he does this and people look to him and they want to show kindness to him. And so even as he is trying to figure out how am I going to live life in a new land, learn a new language? He says, I will not change what I believe in about my God. So much so that he says, you know what? I'm not going to eat that food that would defile me. And so there's this food challenge that is going to go on that we'll read about in just a minute. I'll kind of summarize it uh, the best I can for time's sake. Uh, there he's going to say hey look I, I just want to eat fruits and veggies I'm, I'm going to stay away from the wine I'm going to stay away from the meat and the guy says you can't do this because you're going to get thin and frail and then all of a sudden I'm going to lose my head and he says just just test me in this just just give me 10 days to do this now I know out there somewhere Somebody has come up with the Daniel diet. I mean, we do with everything else. We have the paleo diet. We have the keto diet. 
We have all sorts of diets. No, no doubt somebody said, hey, let's build this biblical diet off the fact that he eats only fruits and vegetables. And for all you kids out there, um, you just better hope that your parents don't have you reading through Daniel because they may make you eat more veggies than you really want. But see, the thing is, this really isn't about a diet. It's not really about eating healthy or looking good. It was about quietly honoring God when the rest of the world around him wouldn't. Listen to that again. Daniel and his diet was not about eating healthy or looking good. It was about quietly honoring God when the rest of the world around him wouldn't. And I think that kind of sounds a little bit like where we are now. Notice what he didn't do. He didn't start a petition. He didn't join a riot. He didn't wave a sign. He didn't appeal to the kings. He didn't rant on Facebook or berate his peers. He simply, logically, and calmly spoke with his superior. And by his actions, he said, I will worship any way that I can. But I want to close out this morning with just one word, looking back a few verses earlier. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. I want to read this, and I want you to finish this for me. The third word in the eighth verse of Daniel chapter 1. But Daniel, what? Resolved. Okay, you're going to have to help me out. Let's do this one more time. But Daniel resolved. This is some mid-year resolution, isn't it? It's certainly not like the one that I make every January. Daniel resolved. Resolving is to firmly decide on a course of action. But notice what he resolves to do. It is quietly choosing to worship and honor God in the best way that he can. He didn't, and I'm not suggesting you either, run out and look for a den and a lion and pray that God will close his mouth. Okay, that's not, we don't have Daniel in the lion's den immediately. That's chapters away. Right now, all Daniel does is say, I want to worship God any way that I can. In a different language, in a different country, with a different name. He says, I just want to find a way to worship God that I can. And in a time where we feel like all this is slipping out of our grasp, and the things that we grew up doing, that we said, oh, those were the good old days. Weren't they? Weren't they the good old days when we went to school as little kids, and we said the Pledge of Allegiance, and then we had a prayer over the intercom? Wasn't that the good old days? And we, we look back and we lament about that, and we say, our kids can't do that anymore. And Daniel says, I don't get to weigh the worship, I don't get to worship the way that I used to. I'm, I'm not back in, in Jerusalem. I can't go to the temple. The temple has been pulled apart. My family has been ripped from me. I'm in a, a, a strange place. But he doesn't get mad at God. He doesn't curse God. He just says, Let me find some way that I can honor God 
and stay connected with him. And so he resolved. And this week, I almost want to ask you to do the same. I'm not saying you look for the lion in the den. I'm not saying that you go build a big, uh, a big podium and stand up on the street corner. I'm just asking that you resolve. That you find a way to take one step closer that leads you to your Creator. In a time where sin and Satan and the world is trying to take you captive. When they're trying to pull you away and tell you that you have to learn a new language. And that you have to have a whole new different culture. And that there is some new religion that you are forced to follow. I just want you to resolve. Resolve to do something very, very small this week. Resolve to pray. Resolve to be kind. Resolve to hold your tongue in anger or speak a word in love. Resolve to celebrate independence from sin and guilt and hopelessness. I want us to mark July 3rd, 2022 as the day you made a tiny step closer to Jesus and just resolve this week. I know there's a lot that's going on. I know you're excited about what's taking place tomorrow and we get to celebrate our nation's independence, but I also want you to be thinking about what's one little way that I can show God and His glory and the love of His Son Jesus to the people around me. And that's my prayer for you this morning, that we will resolve to show Jesus to this world. If you want to take up that resolution this year, if you want to take time to honor God this week, then I want to ask that you will join me and stand as we sing this song of encouragement.